HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Nettle Meadow Farm Cheese and Spirits Pairing, taking place on Saturday, June 18th at Nettle Meadow Farm. For more information, visit NettleMeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. That's N-E-T-T-L-E, MeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd. This is Greg Blaze, and on the line I have John Schumann of Cascadia Creamery in Washington State. Thanks so much for coming on the show, John. Hi. <laughs> for those of you who haven't heard of Cascadia Creamery, they produce some fantastic organic raw milk cheese in Trout Lake, Washington. I was first introduced their cheeses via Greg Hessel, also known as Big Greg to my little Greg, of Cowbell, an Oregon-based purveyor of artisan cheese. I was immediately struck by the quality of your cheese, John, especially the Sawtooth and the Sleeping Beauty, which I really love. Ah, thanks. Um, so befo- besides focusing on creating raw milk cheese, uh, John and his wife, Marcy, strive to go beyond organic, uh, which is something I'd love to talk about in the second half of the show. To start, though, I wanted to hear about how and when you and Marcy got into making cheese and what makes the Trout Lake Valley a special place to do that. That's, that's a big question. Let's see. <laughs> let's, see if I can, let's see if I can start, <laughs> start on a, uh, a logical thread. I think you um, can. So... We, uh, yeah, I'll try to make it a, a long story short. Uh, make a long we were, story long. We were moving out of the out of the city, uh, looking for a place that uh, we could raise kids and and whatnot. I had grown up in a rural area. Um, Marcy grew up a little bit more um, more city based, and we uh, uh, we found Trout Lake. And one of the first things that really like uh, stuck in my mind was this this rich history of dairy. Right. Um, you know, it was, it's like the soul of the soul of the valley, and Trout a very small uh, kind of uh, um, I want to say micro. I'm trying to invent a word like uh, agrocosma. Wow. Uh, you know, awesome microcosma. Cosm. <laughs> um, it's, it's a very it's a it's a small agriculture valley uh-huh. surrounded by public uh, public land, mostly national forest. Right. Um, and it's primarily all uh, certified organic. Uh, operations. There's uh, some large medicinal herb growers, echinacea, that kind of stuff, and organic dairies. Nice. Um, and 
back in the 1800s, I think 1882 or 1880, uh, somewhere around that date, uh, a whole uh, kind of a, a group of, of uh, Swedish families immigrated with their cows and started dairying. And at one point, there were 30 dairies uh, in the valley, uh, 30 small you know, family dairies. Um, and it's a long ways from any transportation hub. So it took maybe two days to get down out of the woods uh, to the Columbia River where you could actually transport goods. So everything was processed into cheese and butter. Sure. So this was all like very fascinating. This like this rich history of, of you know how this little mini economy, this little agriculture center, uh, worked and had evolved, and it all got lost in the uh, commercial, uh, the commercial agriculture revolution. And you know when we moved there uh, around ten years ago, plus or minus, uh, there were three lar- three dairies left, and you know they had consolidated into larger dairies. And they were all commodity, commodity milk producers. So the cheese and butter making that was the, uh, you know, the soul of the valley uh, back in the day, back in the, the pioneer days, had all all sloughed away. Um, but there was all the vestiges and the and uh, sort of the, the leftover culture of that sort of lingering around in the air. The terroir was was uh, speaking. You know, the soul was speaking. Uh, cheese to me. That's pretty awesome. Um, what did you come out of? What business did you come out of to get to get to there? Were you always uh, a dairyman? I was. I was sort of like uh, all over the place, jack of all trades. I had worked in in the corporate corporate world for Nike for first uh, number of years. Right. I did uh, a lot of. Uh, I got into you know buying buying rental houses and commercial properties and fixing rehabbing them and fixing them up. Um, I was a blacksmith artist uh, for a while. I did my did my stint as a uh, the artist fantasy. Um, <laughs> and when I w- when I moved to Trout Lake, I was actually I went to work for one of the um, one of the herb herb growers, um, uh-huh. kind of in a more of a business capacity, kind of uh, doing business plans and you know trying to figure out how to make you know uh, make markets for 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 herbs and and uh, stuff like that. So a little, a little of everything, you know, all over the place. Um, and then you do, but you found the sort of skeleton of a dairy industry there, and that piqued your in, your interest. You wanted to, yeah. wanted to get involved in that. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. you were always a cheese lover, though. You always, uh, yeah, that's cool. I, I, was, I always, always liked cheese, but you know, I'd never, I'd never made cheese before. I'd, I'd made yogurts and and butter and and soft, you know, the soft dairy products, but sure. uh, had never, never delved into hard cheese um, until I, I actually, I got to know one of the dairy families. Uh, the, the son had kids, my, you know, uh, kids the same age uh, as, as my young kids who were both uh-huh. having kids at the same time. We got to be friends and I just showed up one day with a pitchfork and said, look, I, I want to know everything about dairy. I want to be, a, awesome. I want to be a herdsman. I want to be a dairyman. So, um, he laughed at me and uh, humored me. He he told me I'd, I'd last about a month and I must have I'd come been. to my. <laughs> <laughs> that was a challenge. It's kind of, and two years later, I was, uh, um, you know, they were turning the farm over to me when they oh. went off on family reunions and you know letting me kind of manage the, you know, manage the dairy and the you know they had a, a staff and whatnot, milkers and and farm hands, but. Um, 
you know, I, I loved it. I loved the dairy, you know, the dairy side of it. And they were ah. paying, I didn't want money, so they were paying me in milk. So I had this milk supply. <laughs> there you go. They were also paying me in cows at a certain point. I go, well, we have to pay you some money. I said, well, I'll take a cow. I'll, you know, how about a cow? How about a cow? <laughs> you know, I'll take a cow. That's so great. I had six cows then. And, yeah. Uh, and just loved making cheese and it was a it was a barter a barter economy for me i was that's making cheese and i was trading it for my my needs that's great that's brilliant man that's i felt like a pioneer you know in those early days <laughs> well you you definitely were of sorts you know i mean uh i mean cheese is valuable currency you know and if you know your history i mean we talk a lot about that on the podcast about the I mean, you know, about the strict the value of taking fluid milk and turning it into cheese, but also, you know, just the sort of um, archaeological principles of cheese, like, you know, um, how it was traded as currency in, like, countries like Italy and how it kind of still is there. You know, you can you can do that in the, in a bank in Emilia-Romagna. You know, you can get Parmigiano and use it as, like, a bond that gains interest. Mm-hmm. So the cheese is currency, man. You know, it's, it's a very value-appreciative thing. That's pretty awesome. And uh, and you just grew it from there. You just sort of yeah. just kept going. What was your yeah. first cheese that you made? Um, the first cheese I made. Um, it, it's kind of funny. I, I don't know why I I, I launched into um, uh, like a, a hard cheese. I tried a um, I tried a Parmesan Romano style. Right. And uh, that was that was kind of the first. And it's not the first cheese I. I opened up to eat, but it's the first cheese I, I you know, kind of made, and I stuck it. I had a root cellar um, yeah. that I that I had created, so I stuck it in there, and and it sat for for two years, and I really didn't know what I was doing with that. I didn't uh-huh. oil it or or you know do anything to to keep the moisture in. Just sort of let it um, sit there. I let it sit there, and you know, I was like, well, it's supposed to age for for a couple of years, and it's my first cheese, so I'm going to just let this. I'm going to let this sit, and, and I'll be patient. I was making other cheeses, you know, Colby's or Cheddar's, or uh-huh. just trying all kinds of different things. I tried everything. You know, sure. I just, you know anything that I felt like eating at the time, I'd, I'd make some up, and uh, and then, you know, months later, I'd get to eat it. <laughs> so my, fir- my first cheese, uh, I don't know if you've seen our, our logo of, uh, you know, a, uh, a stump with a wheel of cheese on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was, I was uh, the Pearson, the Pearson family is the dairy family that, um, that, you know, I, I interned with and where I, I now get my milk. I, I sold my cows back to them, uh-huh. um, as the son took over the dairy. And, uh, so anyway, we're, we've kind of got this great, uh, milk supply relationship. Yeah. It's, it's almost farmstead cause it's, it's so close, but well, you um, did own some of the animals that that lived there at one point in time, right? I, I did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's and then I, cool. I, 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 I pulled some of those, you know, some of those calves. I, I pulled out, you know, myself. That I uh, heard, you know, <laughs> nice. Got, I got dirty. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so, so this wheel of Parmesan I was over at the at the Pearson's house for dinner, and I said, "Hey, I got I got this wheel. It's, I've aged it two years." This is a huge like. This is a huge moment. We're going to open up my my first wheel of cheese. Yeah, and we got a knife and tried to cut into it, and you know I couldn't even scratch. Couldn't even scratch this wheel of cheese. It was so rock hard. And then we got a meat cleaver, and we tried to like crack it, and I got a chisel, and I'm <laughs> pounding on it. And it's it's doing nothing. So next thing you know, me and me and Monty, who's the the the, the patriarch of the family, he's you know. Uh, well into his close close to the seventies. Yeah. We're there in the woodshed on the on the chopping block with an axe and we're just taking turns winding up on this wheel of cheese trying to just get it open. 
and the axe is you know sticking in the wheel of cheese and I hold I'm holding the wheel of cheese and he's holding the axe and we're trying to get the axe out of the wheel of cheese and you know just chipping into this thing. Finally, we get it to crack open and it's you know entirely unedible. As hard as it's hard as a rock. We couldn't even get a cheese fossilized to, to flake anything off of it. You know? And that's your logo. That, right. So it's like, hey, it's you know it just sort of spurred that idea of, of that rustic woodsman logging you know. Uh, Type image of us in a woodshed trying to open a wheel of cheese with a with a you know a splitting axe. <laughs> that's, that's an awesome story. Uh, one of the um, when I, the first cheese like that, that, that I got from from you guys was uh, was the sawtooth, um, which I thought was just uh, just pheno- phenomenal. And um, and uh, I got to admit, one of the things that um, really pulled pulled me in. Um, Greg Hessel told me, you know, he's like these guys they. They age. Uh, they have this aging facility. It's built underground in a natural lava tube cave. And I was like, "Yeah, I want to. I want some cheese um, aged in a lava tube, man. I just. I want that." Um, but other than sounding awesome, how does that aging environment impact the cheese? Um, it was pretty cool when we when we first transitioned uh, into the into the cave. Um, you know, we were. As, as a starting out career, I went through you know several you know sort Facilities. of evolutions. My first aging was was the root cellar, which was uh-huh. a small underground, um, you know, kind of built cave. Um, and then we, as we grew, I got one of the shipping containers, insulated shipping containers, um, and you know filled that with cheese and had a cooler unit. Right. Um, and then we discovered the the cave, and it was actually on the Pearson's property. And I was I was uh, you know. Watching the cows one day, I saw some air blowing out of a hole, got into the hole and found this, this cave, you know, took a temperature and humidity reading. It was 90, 92% humidity and 54 degrees, which is really, which is perfect. Yeah, nice dude. airflow. I'm, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's cool. So, you know, there was this nice movement of air and, you know, so the, it took a while to actually get where we could age cheese and where the FDA would allow us to age cheese. Yeah, there was a lot of like. What's the health inspection like on a lava tube cave? I mean, what do they what do they do in there? You know what I mean? <laughs> the first thing they said when I when I talked to the inspector, you know, early on, they they're like, absolutely not. Like, of no way, no how. This is <laughs> not going to happen. Um, and I'm pretty persistent, Classic. you know. And I, once I get an idea, it's kind of like a pit bull. I grab onto it, and I just, sure. you know, I don't want to let go. Because yeah. it was, it was really based on. It was a fantasy. Because um, right. there is actually in Trout Lake, there's a cave called Cheese Cave uh-huh. that uh, um, they aged a, a phenomenal Roquefort style oh, uh, cool. cheese for years in um, back in you know back in the day. I think they went out of business in the '40s or you know '50s era. Um. So you know, there's that was part of the thing. You can, actually you can go down in this cave and find some of the, the foil wrapping with the logos still on it. The, wow, the racks wow. are still down there, um, and you know you can find vestiges of the cheese because when they abandoned it, they left all the cheese in it, and it sort of just got eaten by you know rodents and, yeah. and people. And um, so there's this fantasy of like, God, if I could rebirth the you know aging in a cave, and the, that cave was unavailable to people who owned it. Just weren't you know weren't really they weren't into it. Cave weren't into it. Um, so, you know, the FDA said, no, this is just, it can't happen. You know, there's, you can't control the environment, there's pests, all this kind of stuff. So I said, look, give me a list of 
let me know what the requirements. Forget it's a cave. Just let right. me know. Give me the specs. You know, what do I need here? The specs. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I, I looked at the specs. I'm like, I can do this. Um, so I did it and then called them up for an inspection. Said, forget this is a cave, but inspect this. I've already done right. it. You know, because um, their answer was no, you can't do it. But I did it anyway. Ugh, um, so annoying. And met the specs, and they looked at it. They said, "This is great." Um, you know, we we stuccoed in all the all the natural surfaces. Um, you know, we we kind of put a barrier so that we could control the air and any pests, you know, intrusion into it. So we, you know, we had our controlled airspace requirements. Um, we could well, we could wash the walls, um, and they loved it. That's you know, brilliant, they, man. They said this is a great aging facility. You know, it's better than most. Um, and it's and just was first, there. It just right. existed. You just literally walked into it, tooling around the property, and there it was. Bang! Right. It's awesome. And it, it took you know, it took some crowbars and <laughs> yeah. to get the hole. Yeah, you sure. Know, where I could actually crawl into the cave originally because it was just a little, you know, a little one foot hole in the ground. Um, you know, that opened up into a, a cave down below. Amazing. Uh, and when we, uh, um, to answer the kind of like the original root of the question, yeah, when we first moved moved cheese into it, um, the rinds just did all these amazing things. There was there's stuff down there that you know we were not putting on the cheese, the terroir, the you know the breath of the earth or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, that's what um, it is. You know, there was yeah. biology down there. Yeah, there's little um, there's little bugs and good stuff living under there. I'm sure. Yeah. And it was unknown stuff. I mean, there's stuff that grows on our cheese that, you know, I, I, you know, early on I bought every packet of, of you know, molds and 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 yeasts and whatever you could buy and tried it out on cheese. And it's like there's stuff growing on the cheese that I've never seen before. You know, it's just different. You know, different things. Um, so it's it's really awesome to like. It was really awesome just to watch the cheese develop. You know, in that kind of wild. You know, natural environment was like, yeah, this is this is only happening right here. That's really you know, cool. right now. I mean, that's old school stuff, man. I mean, that's uh, that's what people really try to capture, you know, um, through mm-hmm. uh, through science and through purchasing um, cultures and rennets and really control, really hyper controlling the environments that they build out in, you know, in refrigerators or in old buildings or in, in things like that. But you know, your, yours is just sort of there, which I really, really find amazing. That's really cool. Awesome. I mean, it, it has its it has its flip sides. You know, sure. seasonality is definitely plays a lot. I mean, our rinds, you know, funky stuff happens to the rinds because yeah. the you know the air pressure is different. It's blowing from I don't know some different corner of the lava tube system. We never we right. actually haven't found the end of the lava tube system. We haven't we haven't found the end of the cave. How deep does point. it go? Uh, no idea. Wow. Um, <laughs> we've we've gone down we've gone down as far as we could until we found like a you know a restricted opening yeah 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 and uh, I'm I'm gonna go down there one day and, and find you know find where it goes but there's there's air blowing from somewhere right way down that's amazing um, that's really that's really that's really cool man I I I really I really like that how much cheese can you fit in there how much cheese do you have in the spot where you can age cheese uh, we can fit. Let's see, poundage-wise, uh, I, I have to think about this and, and put it in, a, in some kind of understandable terms. Um, we have, I think, 15,000 pounds wow. down there. It's a big um, cave, bro. Right. Nice. <laughs> Damn. 
Well, whatever's going on down there, as the end user, the guy who buys the cheese, I'm pretty goddamn happy with it. So <laughs> the re- awesome. re- really, really appreciate that. Um, i got another question right. for you. Um, how important is it for you to use raw milk? I know that that's what your, your stuff is. And if, and if the laws changed here in the U.S. and you had to pasteurize your milk, would you still make cheese? Um, I would. Um, I mean, I would be sad about it. Right. Uh, one of the, you know, one of the kind of reasons I I was fascinated with getting in or wanted to get involved with the dairy was I wanted to drink raw milk. Uh-huh. Um, at at a certain point, I was I was lactose intolerant. At a certain point, yeah. Um, you know, in my in my uh, in my life, and I am not lactose intolerant anymore. I think it's working um, the opposite way on me. Which is brutal, but what are you gonna do? <laughs> right, and you know, it, it was like I, you know, I could drink raw milk, so I, uh-huh. I wanted a source of raw milk, and it was very difficult to find a source of raw milk. You yeah. had to, you know, you had to get to, you had to get to a cow to get it. Right, and there was, there was my in. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna intern at the dairy so I can get raw milk for myself. Nice, you know. So you know, the, the raw milk is, uh, to me, I think there's something to it. Uh, you know, there's, you know, we don't want to sidetrack into the. Um, no, but that's that was know. where your that was where you, your the impetus for making cheese or, or getting into dairy came from. But now maybe because you love to make cheese so much or you're doing so well, the laws change. You'd roll with it. You'd you'd, you'd have yeah. to, right? Well, I, cool. I would roll with it. I mean, cheese, but cheese is good. Like yeah, exactly. you know, some people. I mean, I, it's something where uh, um, you know people ask me like I you know I'm out somewhere and I'm getting some cheese and like oh you know. You, you're gonna have some some Tillamook or some whatever or some just ch- cheddar cheese. It's yeah. like you know I don't care. Cheese, yeah. cheese is good. It's yeah, like, yeah, it is. Doesn't have to be fancy cheese farming. It just has to be cheese. Yeah, you fit right in on this program with that sort of uh, that sort of thinking, and uh, and you are in it for the long haul. I also, read that you're grooming your son Rowan to carry on the cheese making tradition and become a cheesemaker. Uh, we've done a few episodes um, about secession planning for small cheese companies this year. It's a really fascinating topic. As the artisan cheese industry grows and artisan creameries make their impact on their local economies and even the national culture of cheese, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is it really important for you to keep it in the family? Um, I would love that. I mean, that would be my my dream my dream come true. Um, you know, things change, and you know, kids kids are going to do you know follow their own dreams and paths. But you know, if I could if I could pass, you know pass the business on um you know that would be that would be like the you know the the capstone of my existence that's to, awesome to be able to to create a heritage you know a heritage like that that's and you know uh you know a little side story i was i uh I, I took my i took rowan out of school uh to go up go up skiing into we the ski area and uh i think he was maybe like six or you know six or seven or something like that a yeah. years ago and and we're we're skiing. He's like, Papa, I don't think I want to go to college. I think, I think you can just, you know, teach me all the stuff you know, and I'll just make cheese. Ah, that's awesome. And I almost I almost fell off the chairlift. I was like, <laughs> you know, I got all choked up and that's amazing and stuff like that. That's. I mean, I don't know if he's you know he, you know he's gonna he's gonna grow up and do his own thing, but. You know, that was just like, I was like, wow, that would be so cool, you know. That would be, be amazing. Like, that would be the best thing ever. Well, it, it would be, it would just follow along the path of, of rebirth and, uh, 
and just a re- resuscitating an area that you obviously fell in love with. So that's a good place for us to take a little break, and uh, we're going to go to commercial, but we're going to come back and talk a little bit more with John. Hold on a sec. Meadow Farm Cheese and Spirits Pairing is a celebration of good food and beverages in the newly restored Barn Loft event venue at Nettle Meadow Farm in Thurman, New York. On Saturday, June 18th, come sample and savor, then buy your favorite cheeses and beverages to take home. Nettle Meadow cheeses have been praised highly in national media and have won prestigious awards from the American Cheese Society. Taste samples of goat and sheep cheeses paired with an array of local regional wines, beers, and ciders. You'll never forget your first sample of rich, creamy Kunick, Nettle Meadows' trademark cheese. In Esquire, our very own Ann Saxelby said Kunick. It may very well be the sexiest cheese in the USA. Nettle Meadow Farm is a goat and sheep dairy and cheese company in Thurman, New York, just below Crane Mountain in the Adirondacks between Gore Mountain, North Creek, and Warrensburg. It's owned and operated by Lorraine Limbiase and Sheila Flanagan. Both have a great love of animals, artisan cheese, and the unique challenges of farm life. Nettle Meadow Farm was originally founded in 1990, and it's the home of over 300 goats, dozens of sheep, and a variety of farm sanctuary animals. Again, the Cheese and Spirits pairing is Saturday, June 18th. For more information and tickets, visit NettleMeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. That's N-E-T-T-L-E, MeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. John Schumann of Cascadia Creamery is on the line with us today. John, thanks so much for coming on. Great stories. I'm really happy to meet you over the phone here and uh, and talk to you. We've been talking to John mostly about his creamery, um, and I'd like to focus on this next part of the episode on the cows and the milk. Um, so your milk comes from a certified organic, organic dairy farm, uh, Pearson's, right down the road or right near you. Can you tell us more what, about what it takes to be certified organic and what you mean about being, quote-unquote, beyond organic? Right. Um, so, you know, the organic certification, uh, it, it, it centers around uh, everything that the cows eat has to be certified organic. Uh, so, you know, no pesticides or, or GMO in the feed. Uh, the pastures that they're grazing on in the surrounding areas uh, have to be, you know, free of, you know, uh, you know free of nitrogen fertilizers and pesticides and, and whatnot. And the cow, the animal husbandry, uh, is you know is all very uh, you know basic low maintenance. You know you can't use antibiotics, you right. can't use growth hormone hormones. Um, you know essentially, uh, when you're treating a sick cow, you're using probiotics and uh, you know vitamin supplements and you know kind of natural uh, natural methods to support immune system rather than using pharmaceuticals to. Um, you know, to work on work on the cow um, creates challenges, but uh, you know you're uh, you're doing it the old I, way. I, I would say the milk the milk the milk quality and taste is is superior. Yeah, you think so? What what's being what's beyond organic for you? What does that mean? Um, so somewhat, um, you know this this particular herd 
Um, I think I, I spoke before. Uh, this is like the f- uh, fourth generation dairy family. They started in 1883, um, and they have a different approach. They didn't really have to do a lot to when they first got certified organic, which is, gosh, more than 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. They really didn't have to change anything. They just said, well, we're already organic just in the way we do stuff, so just give us a certification. Sure. Um, and it's basically a philosophy, um, a very low-impact philosophy. Uh, their cows, you know, an average cow would live, uh, say like four lactation cycles at most, um, and you know their their cows live eight eight to ten years, um, partially from the the long you know long lineage of breeding a uh, a really robust cow that doesn't need to have uh, the intervention that a um, that a commercial uh-huh. you know feedlot dairy cow is. And it's also like the pasture, the, the treatment of the cow, their environments. Um, organic gives you a, a certain, like, required amount of, of pasture and grazing. Um, they're, not even, they're not even close. This there's not even close to that. They're like, you know, the cows need to be, you know, out in the, out in the fields. Right. Um, so, you know. So they're exponentially uh, more than what organic requires, is what you're saying. It's like, yes. yeah, yes. And, and it's all-encompassing. It's everything that is and was and will be about their farm and about your cheese through the, through the milk that those animals make. Is that what you're talking right. about? Yeah. Yeah. It's about cool. a healthy cow, not a, quote-unquote, productive cow. Sure. Um, so it's, it's creating a breed. It's creating an environment. It's creating a system. Um, that's both uh, very local centric, like they're trying to avoid any outside feed supplement or right. feed inputs. They're growing all their own Odin feed, so they have a lot of control over what the cows are eating. Um, and you know, the the mindset is create a healthy cow, and you're going to have a long term investment, so to speak. Yeah, versus of course. Let's make a cow that really cranks out a lot of milk and then keels over dead from yeah, illness. Absolutely. Uh, and, and it's coming in through an environment, it seems like, that used to support that industry, maybe at a time where productivity was a, and, uh, was a little bit less important than just you know, the natural environment. So everything that's right. there um, seems to be able to support that if, as long as you don't push it beyond the boundaries of what the ecosystem can hold on to, that sounds like to me. And right. What what breed of cattle is that? Or what breed of cows are you working with? Um, they were historically they were a Jersey, you know, a Jersey herd. At uh, at one point they were uh, I don't know what the organization's called, but kind of like a uh, a pedigree Jersey uh-huh. uh, certification or, or registration. Um, you know, since then they've evolved into uh, a real you know kind of mix of of breeds centering around. Um, trying to develop a more grass, a grass-based uh, acceptant uh, breed of, of cows. Like if you took a you took a standard commercial Jersey herd and said, "Oh, I want to be grass-fed." Okay. Um, they're not really bred for it because okay. that's been bred out of them. They've been bred to do well on a grain supplement. So you switch them to grass, and it's like they don't really thrive in the same way. But there are certain breeds, heritage breeds, um, and they've pulled in Friesian, which is a New Zealand breed, and Dutch Belt, um, which, uh, or just focused on 
Jerseys or those other breeds that have been selected for uh, pasture-based versus, you know, uh, grain supplement-based. Um, so they have a they have a nice mix of of cow breeds to try to design a an optimal, you know, an optimal cow. That's um, cool. How many do they have? Yeah, uh, about two fifty milking at this point. Interesting. Uh, they've been trying to grow the grow the herd as we've been growing they've been growing um it's been a, it's been a nice synergy um that sounds great i was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about one more thing about do you want to tell me a little bit about a2 genetics and what does that mean uh, yeah i mean i i'm by no means like the expert you know expert on that but um the uh so my you know my understanding of a, the A1, A2, in, in a nutshell, yeah. is uh, kind of back in the in the commercial dairy revolution, where it's, where it was desirable to have a productive cow versus you know a happy, a happy cow. cow. Per se. Yeah. Um, the there was a, a kind of genetic mutation that started getting selected for, which was a cow who would have one calf needs to produce enough milk for a calf. Um, and the mutation was a cow that would like squirt out 30 gallons of milk a day, which, you know, I mean, a calf maybe is going to drink, you know, uh, a really, really hungry calf might drink five gallons of milk a day, um, which would be even absurd. I mean, that's, that's a lot of milk for a, you know, a little cow to, you know, to drink down. So this mutation was, was kind of centered around like huge volume of milk production uh-huh. and it 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 was also associated with, associated with a different type of protein uh you know a different variety of protein um and what what was discovered or or kind of found was uh a lot of people are more sensitive to that type of protein because it's a it's a slight variation of of the the milk proteins so people would have allergies and you know reactions to it, health problems. You know, drinking the milk from the A1 genetic, which is the mutation, uh, and wouldn't have problems with milk uh, allergies or reactions or health issues with the heritage breeds, which were typically A2. Right. Uh, the herd that you know, you know, the Pearsons herd, not by like conscious choice of like, hey, we're going to select for for A2 genetics, you know, the, the heritage style. Um, the herd is primarily A2 just because A2 cows live longer, they're healthier, right. they give less milk but <laughs> sure. more components. That's so, fascinating. <laughs> you know, the, the fat and protein contents of this herd are like, are, are way, way above the average yeah. herd. When you look at, you know, oh, a, an average Jersey cow gives you know, uh, you know, four percent fat, five, right. you know, four to five. I get five and a half percent fat. That's awesome. Um, you know, the butter, the butter fat content of of the milk, just because of how they, how they, their philosophy in breeding is just is over the off the charts, and it's primarily all A two, A two genetics, which is a you know, huge bonus. Um, Hell yeah. You know, being an important thing, you know, an important thing health-wise these days, and as well as, you know, shoot, if you just if you just backed it to cow, you know, cow health and welfare, uh, the A2 genetics they live longer, they're healthier, yeah. um, 
they're not trying to produce uh, an unnatural amount of milk. Right. Um, that just seems to be all, all what you're all about. I mean, that's just what what the whole operation you've got there is all about, um, which I find fascinating and really impressive. Um, I got one last question for you, and it's about the starter cultures. Do you buy or use your own um, cultures? Um, we we buy uh, buy cultures. Um, you know, being raw milk, uh, we're definitely getting wild. You know, wild influence, uh-huh. uh, which I like to encourage. But um, you know, from a, an acidity development uh, standpoint, you know, I want to make sure that you know uh, the batches is uh, developing developing acidity at the rate that you know that we want it to. Right, you want to control that a little bit. We, right, so we we try to keep a little control on the acidity development, and then let the wild stuff be the you know the 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 depth of flavor. Yeah, um, sure. You let the you let, let the environment do what it can, but you you want to make things that um that you can control and that are that are marketable. That's all. Right. Um, that's all fascinating. Well, Ben, John, thanks so much for coming on the show today. You know, and uh, it was a really really great conversation. Thanks for all the great cheese you send out. Um, out here in the East yeah. Coast, we're starting to get a little bit of a little bit trickle of your cheese. Thanks to Greg. Um, you know, and I I'm really really glad to talk to you. And uh, you know, you know, you you get, you get stuff that's good. It's you know, it's good from farm to the plate. You know, so thanks for coming on, and thanks to everybody for listening. And uh, stay tuned for more cutting the curd. Ciao. All right. Thanks. Thanks for all your support. Yeah, bud. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.